0: Hey Caroline, welcome to Masters of Medic. It is a pleasure to have you on the show for maybe the second time. I don't know if we start by telling the audience the last time my laptop let us down and, and we couldn't quite hear everything properly. So by popular demand that's from me, <laughs> I've managed to persuade you to come back onto the show. Great to see you, Caroline. How are you doing?
1: Awesome. Thank you. Um I think it's great that the first time didn't work. There's the, there's the, the the plan is perfect and there's a reason for it.
0: I like that. Yes, I like that. That's a that's a good positive mindset to start off with. Caroline, for those of you that don't know you, could you give us a little bit of insight into who you are and perhaps how you got started in this wonderful world of sales of ours?
1: Oh, goodness. I I started sales by accident pretty much like everybody i think uh first job on the ground started for computer associates and although you know i wanted to work for l'oreal in marketing kind of got hooked and then from then on i just like sales 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 um, from inside at computer associates to Oracle and then moved and moved, wanted to be on the field super fast, wanted to be global super fast, (laughs) and then kind of fell into management by chance as well, I suppose.
0: Cool. Okay. By chance. That's interesting, isn't it? Because what you were talking about there, I think I, and I'm sure so many people listening will resonate with, which is that idea of in sales being driven to always take the next step up. And it's almost like so many of us are not satisfied with, with doing whatever role we're doing or always sort of aiming for that next best thing, which I think is a trait that obviously... It is a good one to have in sales that we're always trying to push ourselves forward. Um, but it's funny to hear you say you sort of fell into management, almost like that wasn't part of your plan. Is is that fair to say? And tell us a little bit about that.
1: Um, it wasn't until it was available. Um, I when I left BMC, I I was part, I was super successful, and I was a lone wolf. Like I actually had trouble uh, working with a team. Uh, and I learned a lot of VMC, and by the end, I think I, I I got to to really understand the power of a team. I was I was the I that doesn't exist in team, and that that wasn't good. And so when I joined Sprinkler, I I was ready to completely embrace this team part, and and Sprinkler was really this this you know passionate team. After six months at Sprinkler. I think I had matured so much in working together with other people that I was like, okay, let's try to do this. I I think I could do this. And so when Seb said, okay, I'm going to open uh, a couple of management roles, I sort of stood up without even thinking about it. And by the next day, I had a plan like, okay, this is what I want to do for the team.
0: Yeah. Do you know what's fascinating to me about that is that you sort of described yourself there as a lone wolf and, and kind of the characteristics that went with that. Um, and I think a lot of people will, will kind of, you know, resonate with that. But then it's almost like you, you found yourself in a different environment and you found yourself behaving differently. And it was almost the way you described yourself as a lone wolf was almost like that's what you thought. That's like what you thought your personality was. But you find yourself in a different environment, and all of a sudden you're not just a team player, you're wanting to lead a team. It's like you've gone from one extreme to another and and that makes me wonder the big question is, do you think that you were a lone wolf because of your environment, or do you uh and therefore it changed at sprinkler, or do you think that you evolved as a person, or maybe a bit of both
1: no yeah, i think I think I didn't behave properly for a number of years, like all I cared about was making that my number and doubling it. So I wanted to overachieve that. That's what I cared about. And I, it's probably also the age, you know, like I was in my 20s, the ego, wanting to overachieve recognition. So that that's really what I cared about. And I think the BMC team sort of helped me grow and mature. But you know, when you've made a first impression, it's very hard to kind of change everybody's perspective mm-hmm. perspective right so right
0: um
1: i think i had to move company to mm-hmm. start fresh and yeah. as i started in so i definitely was very attracted by you know the martech industry uh definitely closer to the loreal <laughs> <laughs> than, than, than the infrastructure uh, uh industry um I mean, Martech is really, is, is, is really sexy. Uh, Selling Martech is really not easy, one of the hardest, I think, but, but really sexy. And, and so, uh, joining Sprinkler, it was, it was really like a second chance. So I had matured by the end of my BMC era enough to be welcomed by that team. And then I fell into, and like the Paris team was incredible. I think when I signed my contract, there were eight people. And then I joined two months later, you know, because I had big, big accounts of BMC. So the time that I put everything square and fair was two months later, there was 16 in the office, they had yeah. <laughs> already.
0: Yeah. Um, do, you know, do you know one thing I, I will say, because I, I do agree a lot with what you said there. And I think sometimes, you know, having a reset and having a like a blank canvas and a new way of People getting to know you, and, and you kind of have that chance as well. That's why people love, you know, New Year's New Year's resolutions because they see it as like a a, a new dawn of something new, um, which is cool. But I also say that because um, many of the listeners won't know this, but we were at Sprinkler at the same time. I was in yeah. the London team; you are in in the Paris team. From from an you keep ob- up together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From, a, from an observational perspective, um, looking at that that team that you had and said was leading in, in Paris, I have to say I could see why anyone, even the most, you know, ardent lone wolf would have become a team player because from the outside looking in again, you know, I didn't, you know, we're in different teams. So we didn't spend, uh, I didn't spend time with your team, but you know, seeing how you came together, seeing how you um acted as a team, it was like, Beautiful. It was a wonderful thing to see. It was like everyone, the classic kind of team things you'd want. Everyone wants everyone else to win. Everyone's helping everyone else to win. And I think Seb definitely deserves some, some kudos for kind of leading that and obviously finding the right people, which is not just, you know, it's not just one person's job. It's, it's finding those right personalities and team players that they can all kind of pull each other forwards together. I'm not sure, you know, to, to, to really stress the point here. I don't think we had anything like that in, in, in the London team. Um, and that was, that made me, and it was, I'm really grateful for it. It gave me this really clear comparison of the power of a team. It's kind of stuck with me ever since, if I'm honest, before we go into that, I was something I want to talk to you about, which was you, as we talked about, you took the step up into leadership. Um at Sprinkler. So you were a, I think the title at the time was Regional Sales Manager. I think that's what they called account executives at the time. Yeah. And you you took the step up yeah. into a director of sales role, which yeah. I think is today called Regional Vice President or, you know, regional chief revenue officer, or whatever they want to call it nowadays. Um, and <laughs> that, it's it's happening, it's happening. We're gonna have, you know, chief executive officers of sales before long. I'm I'm absolutely convinced of it. Um, but you you took that big step up, which is, you know. Um, which is a step up for anyone to go from an individual contributor to a leadership role. So often we see it where people will take that step up joining a new company. So you have that benefit we just talked about at that fresh start. You did it in the team that you were part of, which is, I think, you know, always going to add that extra layer of challenge, which is your peers are now your reports and what was your, you know, to them, you were a peer and now you're their boss. That is a topic that I get asked a lot about uh, in our community, our medic community, and I'd love just to hear you talk a bit about that experience and and any kind of guidance, advice, takeaways you'd give for anyone who's considering that that step up.
1: Well, I think the first advice to give everyone is no matter how good a salesperson you are, um, no matter how much you think you've prepared yourself to become a manager, you're not ready. (laughs)
0: <laughs> love it, I love it, yeah. Uh,
1: you're not ready because there's no other way than being in it and and just trying. So you can read all the books you want. It's just like uh, I remember my dad telling me something. It's like when you're top performer, when you, when you when 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 you have a, a a person that you have to let go in your team because you know. Uh, attitude or performance or any any type of issue your top performers are going down a level mm-hmm. and I was like what are you talking that doesn't make sense there's yeah. some there's like you have to create a team that works together and I know a lot of people are going to tell you recruit a players recruit a players recruit a players but the truth is I've yet to see a team of five a players that Mm -hmm. work as A players. There's always like a mix of things. And it's okay because they're complementary to one another. And I think we we tend to forget that you need that balance within a team. And the thing is, you can't find that balance until you've experienced it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, Because people are people. They're personalities. They're not numbers. And to make it work, you need to know what they care about.
0: You know, for someone trying to get the best out of me, talking to me about commission and things like that of course i love money as much as the next person but it didn't it doesn't like motivate me it what what motivates me is kind of whatever you know that thing inside which is being the best version of myself for myself and i think you know there could be somebody right next to me who's the complete opposite of that who doesn't care about their own opinion but they want to be seen by everyone else as number 1 and they want to be elevated and all that sort of stuff so that I think is something we do we don't do well enough. What, what do you think? Well, how did you so you're talking a bit about there really, I think it's really astute about kind of understanding what makes people tick almost and what sort of drives them. How did you get to understand those things in your team then?
1: Well, so so let's just go back for a second to me being promoted and I had no team. I had to create oh, a okay. team. So there I was like a quarter there was a quarter where you know I was building the team. Um, some people said had be had been recruited that would just be allocated to my team. People that I, you know, didn't recruit myself. They, I was not even part of the of the recruitment um, session as their future manager. So that's an adjustment for um, for both of us and, and get to know get to know each other. Um, I, I think I think this is something that I learned along the way to kind of like nobody taught me. Be careful with that, but then at some point you kind of figure out. If, you know, it's like your kids, right? Um, they couldn't be more apart. They they have different personalities. They have different reason to do things, um, and you have to do. We like as managers, we tend to to look at. Okay, we have a global quota to achieve, and that's actually one of the things. I'm I'm pretty sure you heard this. Uh, a thousand times but well, when you've been a salesperson and you've been successful your whole career and you step into a management role, you cannot you cannot let go of the deals. It's yeah. really <laughs> hard. It takes it takes tremendous courage. I'm I'm sorry to say this, but for me it was it was so hard not to get into the deal. I was prouder when I was able to step out and not be in the meetings and and Mm. just let it happen prepare help them guide them not be systematically in the meetings because you're going to kill yourself if you try to do all of your reps important meetings you're just going to kill yourself and you're not going to coach them properly
0: yeah i i agree that i and that was one of the things that i found a challenge making that step up was that um and this is a I, I've since learned this, but I didn't really know it at the time. I couldn't really see it at the time. And I like, can see the wood for the trees at the time, which is that, you know, I feel like, um, I always like to split like people's strengths as a salesperson into kind of three pillars. And I know there's much more to it than this, but if you kind of think about it this way, which is like those that like selling one value, selling stakeholders and selling the process. And th- obviously those three things are kind of what, what underpins medic. Um, but I always think about it like this. Generally you'd find that you'd have people that are good at uh, selling value, like that was their strength. That was like their number one. Some that were really good at building stakeholders up, some that were really good on the process. And let's just say for argument's sake, I was very good at the value. Um, and then personally, my team was very good at building stakeholders. I would try and make the mini, mini versions of me Instead of like building their strengths um, that they they have, which would be around stakeholders, which is like um, something I didn't really get at the time. And so I would try and like make these little mini, mini Andes in my team, um, which was never going to happen because we're all we've all got different mm-hmm. strengths. And so, you know, it's much better to focus on building someone's strengths up than trying to like make them sort of a little carbon version. unit. But It took me too long to figure that out. I think that was something I really struggled with.
1: And that goes back to spending time on like one-on-one with each member of the mm. team. And we, we're trying to, to focus on uh, feeding them what the company is about, what the, what we're selling, what, what the product is about, what the value is, and not enough like understanding what is going to make them successful within a short amount of time.
0: Yeah yeah indeed absolutely right yeah so how did you find it so you you built you, you you kind of built this team up and you you've you you know you've got got it got it going as you'd want it to get to, to and then you get the opportunity to work with Seb again this time at datadog so now you've got this we've talked about this a couple of times now you've got this fresh start. And I really like this as a theme. We didn't talk about this before, but this is this is definitely a theme here, which I think everyone will resonate with. So you've got another fresh start now, a kind of a blank canvas. And, and this time you're coming in with some experience as a sales leader. What things did you do differently upon landing in sales leader at Datadog um, that you didn't do when you, when you got the promotion at Sprinkler?
1: It's two very different industries, you know, I'm going back with Datadog, I'm going back to the infrastructure industry, and this is what I knew from BMC. So, um, I think one of the things that I learned very fast is that, you know, you were as good as fast as you could penetrate the market and get references. So I focused on ideal customer profile, um, our team and my mission was companies over five thousand employees at a time where uh, South Europe was still wondering if they had to move to the cloud. So we had to pick <laughs> we had to pick the companies that were moving fast to the cloud, and that was the pipeline generation. It's about sixteen new logos in nine months. Yeah,
0: for that that size of company, that's quite that's quite considerable, isn't it? Proper enterprise. Days. It
1: was, yeah. So one of the things, so that's, I think that's, that's the role where I got closest to being entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So defining the ideal customer profile to get in fast and then defining ways to sign the paperwork fast. So working with the AWS marketplace and putting it in place um, to accelerate signing deals with big companies, because we all know that, you know, this, the paper process with big companies is really what can slow down your, your cycle. Yeah. Um, and then just like attending a bunch of events and dog is really good for that, but really like going but even in, in events where we're not planned. So we got some amazing PG from the cloud week. And I remember uh, Zachary, I think was one weekend and I was like, okay, enough. We're not sitting on our desk. There was, was a time where COVID didn't happen. let's not sit on our desk this is boring uh take your bag we're going to the cloud week and we went to the cloud week and we had some amazing meeting can't tell which which company (laughs) we had but it was like literally grab the person cto um nail him at coffee and then got the meetings and they did some amazing deals um with that person afterwards so i think it's just like It's it's not so much what do you do differently. It's just like adapt to the company. Once, once you figure out where you, like you say, where your strengths are, it's like, Mm -hmm. um, my strengths are definitely PG. Yeah. PG is, is like, it's, it's been, it's been my thing and then Mm -hmm. transforming. Um, Um, I think once you know how to organize these things, so maybe PG, pipeline generation for everyone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Would assume people would know, but just just in case. Just in Um, case. And pipeline generation that is, I think this was still off the record when we talked about this, is like pipeline generation that is not something you're going to qualify out. Basically Mm -hmm. targeted, where you're going to have maximum uh, conversion, maximum return on time invested.
0: Yeah, and, and okay, let's dig into that a little bit because I, I think this is a super interesting topic. Um, that it's a funny one really, because in my sort of world, um, of, of medic you know pipeline generation is, is often considered something that's already happened and i'm really like passionate that actually medic really does help contribute towards pipeline generation particularly when we start to think about how we capture people's attention we need to focus on like you know what pain we help them solve the quantification of that pain and you know the value they get from solving it and how we do it kind of thing which for me is right slap bang in the middle of metrics implicate the pain and the decision criteria before you even start thinking about the personas who of course you know who's your typical champion persona and if you can who's a typical economic buyer persona that you can talk to so for me it is very very much a framework that does expand to that top of funnel side of things but one thing you said there you talked a bit about um you talked a bit about the a CTO that you'd met at Cloud World. Um, and that was that's obviously very much PG events, that kind of thing. And you talked about how you and your team had won, you know, got that person's attention over coffee, and then it expanded to a deal, and then it sounds like it was kind of a land and expand, and then many more deals, as I know is is a big part of Datadog strategy. So what you the way you said that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way you said that was almost like you were kind of you, your face lit up as you said it, and you were kind of it was almost like all of the little things you did and your team did along the way worked out, and I think everyone has those yeah, to get deals.
1: That CTO, like I fast forward that story, but to get that CTO, it yeah. was like. Like you said, um, using the 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 mic of Metpic is like understand yeah. what is this company's metrics. What are, what are what are they heading for? What are what's happening in their annual report? I talk about uh, um, ideal customer profile. Well, they just had signed a massive contract with AWS, and we knew they were moving to the cloud and they would need a solution to monitor their infrastructure. We knew what their pain would be because we knew that it was a massive contract, and at the time. Uh, the only other option would have been uh, probably AWS or some other companies. This is not what we're talking about here, but we knew, we knew it would be a pain and they would need to find a solution very quickly. And then okay. in terms of champion, we knew that CTO would be a champion because he was typically the person who had been put, who had, sorry, who had been putting... Um, programs in place in other companies, and he was clearly the person to see the value of that. He was like carrying the AWS contract, was going to carry probably the MongoDB contract, and so on, so on. And so having like targeting that CTO was a bunch of pre work from understanding that account was a target, understanding we were a solution to potential pains that were coming in, having to educate them, educating the right person at the right level. Um, and then sending that person a bunch of veto letter um, in writing and digital and trying to call to call his assistant so when I got in front of him and I remember Zachary looked at me like you're completely nuts and I was like I've been trying to reach out to you for a while he was like okay well let's 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 have a meeting then. Call my assistant t- tomorrow, and I'm like, I have been <laughs> calling your assistant a number of times. You have a phone. Let's schedule something in your phone, please. That way you yeah. to me. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not gonna get out of of this. Am I? And I'm like, No. It's like, okay, I got thirty minutes. This is what you have, and we'll just like we'll sit down and talk with him. But we knew everything. It was prepared, so it was like sizing the moment, but we knew the mic.
0: Yeah. I love that, and 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 you know what you the thing there is this, and this is why I think that this is something that I think our industry doesn't talk about enough, but is is so so important. Is by the time you saw that person at the event, and you probably not you you probably you may recognize them from their LinkedIn photo that you have probably been staring at for weeks, or you maybe you've like sniped their name badge or something yeah. like that that we all do but but the the, port, the important thing was this it wasn't that you spotted them which is obviously an important factor but what made you get that meeting uh, many will say it was your perseverance probably what um what really made that go from that kind of initial sit down to actually an opportunity was the the work you had put in to those vetoes to those outreaches, to those voicemails where you had sat down probably for periods of time with your team and thought, how can I get this person's attention? What thing, what value can I bring to them? And like you say, it's in the M the metrics is in the I the implicate the pain and the C, which is them for the champion and what that person was. What do they care about? It's not just who are they and how well qualified they are, but it's what do they care about? Yeah. And because you had over and over and over as part of your second, you know, your, your, your second nature, which is medic, You've been going over and over and over that. You were ready to go. And you, you could, you could have, you know, you could have been walking down the street and bumped into them. You could have been in an elevator in a hotel lobby and seen them in the elevator, classic elevator pitch. And that's the point. And I think that we, um, we as an industry miss that, 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 that point. We don't talk about it enough, which is that if we really focus on personal, um, outbounding and and pipeline generation and really putting time into, um, that research, it's not just that it's going to resonate more. We're also preparing ourselves for the meeting that we're really going to get. And, and, and I think that's something that just doesn't get talked about enough. It doesn't, and, and I often get this where I'm talking to people about the importance of preparing for, for meetings and thinking about metrics and what metrics can you bring from your existing customer base that will resonate with that customer so you can open that conversation. And you get occasionally I hear people say, well, hang on a minute, you know, I'm, if I, if you're saying to me I have to before a meeting I have to go and think about what customers I've got and which ones are relevant to the person I'm going to meet and what you know what parts of their decision criteria will meet this customer and, and do all that work, then I'm not going to have any time to do anything else and it's like, well hang on a minute either you should be insanely successful if you've got that much good opportunity. Or maybe there's an opportunity that you can increase your conversion rate and reduce your amount of opportunities and take higher order values in the meantime from less opportunities that you win more of. And I think that's that all. That going back to the point there, which is that if you put more effort in and do a better job, you'll get more out. Um, and here's the really key thing that everyone overlooks: everything everything is scalable. So that company there, I don't. I'm not going to ask you what uh, industry they're in, but let's say they were a a telco company. Right. And so you've put all this work into, into capturing the attention of this telco CTO. Well, there's more than one telco in France, isn't there? So that is scalable. That work is transferable yeah. to other telcos and probably other industries as well.
1: Well, so the, the, the thing that you're saying is, is, is very interesting. And I see, I see this a lot, especially in the Martech industry, but across all industries is the leap of faith that you have to take to say, I'm going to stop having 10 or 15 opportunities at 50 K and I'm going to reduce the number of opportunities to target 300, 500 K deals. And the thing, it's really a leap of faith in yourself. It's like, but I have, I have a 30% conversion rate. So I need my 10 opportunities so I can get my 200 K number or something like that. But it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. It's better to have three opportunities at 200 and close one of these three rather than having 10. Mm-hmm. And you, and, and as you grow, your ACV is going to grow. So what, what we see a lot, Andy, you and I, I think in companies that are willing to implement medic is, is, is a will to increase the ACV. And to increase the ACV, the first, the first step is the mindset.
0: I want to talk to you about, uh, medic. I know you, you're very, very passionate about medic. Um, I want to talk to you about things you see because I know you work with lots of companies implementing medic, helping them get the most out of medic. Is there anything you see in terms of, um, when you're working with maybe individuals or leaders or anything like that, that you can kind of spot very, very quickly? Um, whether you know these are strengths or weaknesses and what sort of things are they? Because I think a lot of people listening along will, will be very keen to, to know about that.
1: So just to make a transition between that story you just made about that person putting the argument, yeah. this is the art, right? And medic yes. is just the science. And I strongly believe that you cannot use the si- science if you don't have the art. And mm-hmm. to me, people who are best using medic, have incredible soft skills, um, humility and coachability, continuous learning, continuous development, um, learning from expert drive, obviously. But what we tend to forget, we, we talk about the letters and we talk about what medic is, what what it is not. Like There's a lot of talk, like you and I have been on, on common webinars Um, I came to the chronology of medic because I had people starting with the M and the E and and I was like, no, okay, this medic means doctor. So we're, we're (laughs) going as a doctor in the deal, but you should not start as a a, a checklist that way because there's a chronological order and it starts with, I know you're laughing, but that's true.
0: I know it's painful, isn't it? But yeah.
1: But then the, um, the other, the other things that I like to say is that if you use medic as I did this, I know who my economic buyer is. I know this. I know that. Well, you like, you're not really doing it. You're not doing mm-hmm. medic. If you want to do medic is like, you want to consistently search for what you're missing. You're looking for the mm-hmm. gap. And mm-hmm. I think this is, there's, it's a very difficult line because let's put it this way. Um, you you were saying you didn't like to be in the spotlight, but in, in general, the sales team likes to be praised for what it for what they do best. They don't right. like they don't like to be in that position where they're not praised. Um right. doesn't mean that we're telling them they're not they're doing things wrong. We're just saying, okay, in an opportunity, even when the deal is closed, there are gaps. And yeah. the point of Medic is to consistently feel comfortable with finding the gaps. When do you master MEDIC? You master it when you know your definitions and you know what that means, but you you certainly master it when you can laser find the gaps in your opportunity consistently and seek help to mind the gap within the organization.
0: Love that. Seek help. Within your organization or the customer's organization? Both, both. both.
1: both organizations. Both. Insurance, right. Insurance. Yeah, I agree. Do you need help from your pre-sale? Do you need help from the customer success? Do you need help from your SDR? Do you need help from your management? Do you need help from the product in understanding something better? Do you need help from your coach in finding a real champion? Do you need from your champion in getting access to the economic buyer? You need to seek help. Use people yeah. as a team. <laughs> real team. Yeah,
0: I couldn't agree more with that. I could not agree more with that. I always find it so funny that we as, uh, um, we as an in industry, we focus a lot on, um, being not being single threaded to the customer, right? So we we put a lot of emphasis to sales leaders to say to the sales people, you know, make sure you, you're not single threaded. You're not just talking to one person. You've got multiple contacts within the organization, which of course is really important. Like we all know the reasons why we don't need to go into that. But one thing I always find funny is we never talk about the reverse of being single threaded. So. Generally speaking, most opportunities I see are a reverse single thread, and by that I mean there's just one person talking to the entire customer's organization. But we have all of these great stakeholders. You've just mentioned them yourself. The SDR probably opened up the opportunity. Why don't they keep in touch? Why do why do they stop that nurturing they do when um, when the opportunity is booked? I know there's incentives and compensation, but that's that's a different question. We don't want to worry about that. And then we've got you know executives who should be connected to the economic buyer, if not more people there. So that's, you know, second uh, threaded there. We've got our sales engineer, solution consultants, who we all know are the most credible and technically astute people in the deal. So why don't we have those people connected to the technical people in in the deal as well? And all of Um, a sudden we've got three, four...
1: Own their champ their own champions. Why should why should champions be the king of the of of the sales? I still don't know.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it it shouldn't, right? And so all of a sudden we've got, you know, we've got this um instead of just being you as the salesperson connected up, you've got all of these different stakeholders Mm -hmm. doing all of this positive champion building, as you say, um and doing all the things we know are really important, influence the decision criteria towards us, building stakeholders, building value, getting broader in the account. Don't talk about it enough. So I think that's a really interesting thing there. And I, I just, yeah. I, and then, you know, but then you've got other stakeholders. We've got partners, right? We've got partners who, um, are working with third parties, um, who can also be a part of this as well, who can then influence the agencies that may be working around the outside, the SIs that may be working around the outside and all the other stakeholders that are there as well. So yes, I think that's, uh, that's a really interesting thing. Indeed. Indeed.
1: I think that when the entire village is owning that opportunity, um, SDR is like you say, don't focus on quantity. Okay, let's go before SDRs. Leads yep. are generated not based on benefits, based on problem that the company can solve. So marketing yes. marketing is outlining not benefits, basically. You're going from a marketing that pushes benefits to a marketing that is pulling people that are identifying to the same pain that we're solving. So webinars are, um, testimonial people. I couldn't do this. This was incredibly cumbersome where we're working in silos. This or, or not even testimonials, but just like hey, are you experimenting silos? Why are we always pushing something like, do you want to increase? Do you want to improve? These are not pain. These are benefits. Right. And when yes. you fall into benefits, you fall into nice to have. So other priorities are coming up. So marketing is pulling is this type of leads. And then SDRs can focus on identifying those people that will fall into the, the, the ICP, the ideal customer profiles of having those pains. And then they're going to create number of ways to do this. We talked about this, a lot of preparation, but they're going to create this intimacy. And that can be a digital intimacy. That could be an event intimacy. That could be a webinar intimacy. That could be warm calling introductions from other customer intimacy until they get to have conversation. And we don't ask them to pitch a product. We ask them to have a conversation. What is it that is going on in your life? Tell me. Find the pain. When you find the pain, then it moves into an opportunity. But right. you've created that conversation and you're already into into that AE role almost as an SDR. You focusing on what can you do for that person? Your problem solver. And like you say, you. this could be a beginning of a champion relationship already. And then I'm not stopping there. It's like okay, who else is experimenting this? Who could we talk about? So SDR is becoming this like really like qualifying not qualifying out but really qualifying in yeah um sort of i don't like to say factory or army but but you get you get the point they're they're, they're, they're yeah. not as quantity but as quality and then when the a's there yes. they're really accelerating by proving value bringing metrics implicating the business pains and so on and getting into all of these things that we know are so difficult and so creating the, like understanding the political landscape. We focus on champions right. and we forget about champion competition or detractors, yeah. these people who do, do not want to do anything or want to spend the budget elsewhere. Not always against the competition. It can be for just something else, another project. My, yeah. I don't have a budget line. I'm just going to spend the money there. So we yeah,
0: like, or 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 the people that like they know that any kind of implementation of any technology is going to be work for them. Like they're a project manager, and they know they're going to have to manage this, or they're a you know they're, they're they they've already their department's already under strain from other projects, yeah. other initiatives, and they know that's going to draw against them. So yeah, that's big, big one. I love that. And I love so
1: the, that. The AEs can do that when they have a team really like working the angles that they can't work at full speed. So. When they trust completely their pre-sales or a solution consultant to really understand how they're going to do a personalized, customized demo based on all of the of the pains that we've identified and implicated at SD or an AE level, but they're going to go one step deeper. They're going to try to understand what it means, and they really the company is solving it in a way that nobody else can. And so that that is not just a demo it's a validation that we are there for you we're a solution to your team and so the solution consultant creates their own champions and keeps on feeding them and keeps on giving them and testing them and developing them so it's really a team team thing and when this is an existing customer the customer success can really help with metrics um I'm not going to name the, the company, but you and I know that we did a land and expand that was quite massive at the time of Sprinkler. And one of the reasons that worked was because the team who worked the implementation of the land worked on 70 KPIs that they were measuring. So when we yeah. did the expansion and we were asked to do an RFP, we said no. And these yeah. are the reason. We're not doing it because this is what's happening in terms of success, in terms of KPIs and, and so on. And there were more to the story, obviously, but customer success played a massive card in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's just the thing because you're, you, you've already quantified the value at that point. And, you know, like I always say, like those, the cape, those 70 KPIs are probably related back to the metrics you had in the sales process, or at least their evolutions of them, which is because it becomes like the, the, the great value that um, a team, an AE using medic can do for a customer success manager in the handover is you have you've got the blueprint of how to work with this company how to get a deal done and all that kind of stuff i would i could talk about this stuff for hours we're we're right up on time i'm afraid but um this is a whole another big topic that i'm sure we can get into again Kaz, thank you so much thank for you. coming on the show again, <laughs> even though we didn't get to see you the first time. I have to say, I think the second time was even better. So, you know, we, we've, we've done the audience proud in that regard. Thank you so much for coming thank on. You. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you?
1: Um, LinkedIn.
0: LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah, and
1: absolutely. then it links back to the website. And yeah, LinkedIn is the best.
0: Good stuff. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much. And um, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Caroline.
1: Thank you, Andy.